listening to On the Couch with Carly. Carly's Couch is a safe space to talk. I'm a psychologist, but I'm not your pipe-smoking, tweed-wearing stereotype. Hello and welcome to On the Couch with Carly. It's a new year. Happy 2024. It's good to be back. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I have recently experienced in my own life, but that has meaning and consequences and relevance and parallels in a greater narrative around motherhood, I think. So this is the deal. Last year, I was on maternity leave for most of the year, and I think I went, I think I started seeing clients from, goodness, what was it? Maybe August, I started seeing um, a couple of clients online. And by October, I had decided to go back. Was it October? I can't even remember anymore, but I think it was like either September or October, I decided to go back to my practice in Constantia and see people in person again. And I contacted my landlord and I said, I'd like to come back. And he said, great. And I said, I'd like to do two days. And it was going to be um, the two days that I selected, a Tuesday and a Friday. And it was all cool. And we were setting it up. And I also uh, enrolled in a coaching a coaching course because I've decided I also want to start coaching um, just to have a different offering in my business. So I enrolled in this course in August and it ended up being quite full on. And the next thing I just found myself going from being on maternity leave with my baby, like not working and kind of, you know, in a totally different gear to suddenly working three days, like, like thinking about working three days a week and on top of that, doing my coaching course and still, you know, not sleeping and having a baby. And I started having crazy anxiety. Like I would get, every time I thought about it, every time I thought about the fact that I was going to start work and start seeing people again, I would get literally like heart palpitations. Like I would start to feel like my heart was racing, my chest would feel tight, um, and I would start having like racing thoughts and like just start ruminating about like, oh my gosh, what is it going to be like? How am I going to do this? And and I sat with these thoughts and I t- talked to my friends and my family and my partner and my therapist about it. And, and I think through therapy, I started to question whether this plan was really what I needed. And it it was difficult to notice that the anxiety wasn't just anxiety for anxiety's sake, but it was actually me communicating with myself about what I needed and what I was feeling about something that 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 there was a reality that I was experiencing that that I was having thoughts and feelings about um and so I decided on after discussing it with people that I respect and care about and having the support that I do have to be able to make the decision to not go back 
two, three days a week straight away, but to rather just start at my practice one day a week and ease into it. Try to see how that would feel and take it from there. And when I was ready, go back to twice a week. And it's not a crazy decision. I mean, to, to take two days a week or one day a week, it's, you know, it is a difference, but it's not a massive difference. But it felt so huge and it had such an impact. And I, I it, it taught me something. It taught me something about how anxiety can play a role in one's life and how when we are attuned and when we're listening to ourselves and when we really are noticing the feelings in our in our bodies and in our emotions and our the thoughts in our head that we will and you know we'll, we'll notice what's going on for us and can attend to ourselves you know like we would to an, our children who we care for noticing what's going on for them is part of what allows us to meet their needs and it's the same for your relationship with yourself that actually sometimes anxiety is just anxiety and it's there to keep our minds busy distract us um, I mean, I do think there's maybe two different kinds of anxiety. I think there's sometimes like this monkey mind anxiety, which is just like thoughts that buzz in our head that sort of don't go anywhere, that sort of just go round and round and round. And, you know, those thoughts can often be very unhelpful and um, they often just speak to our own kind of sort of negative self-beliefs. But this was a distinct anxiety that wasn't that. It was a real sort of warning sign it was it was the necessary um alert signal that my system was giving me to say danger danger there's something here that you are not comfortable with and you need to take heed anyway long story short it was I think it was like a month maybe maximum two months of doing once a day and I was ready to take on more clients and I am now working at the practice twice a week and at home online once a week and doing my coaching course and it's all fine like I'm I'm managing um it's still not a full week and I'm really lucky that I get to ease into it like this I don't have to go back to work full time like other people do um it is a financial burden um it is difficult but it's um the best that I can do right now in terms of what I need and balancing what I need what my family needs um while also supporting our family but um it was just really interesting for me to work out that process because as you know I've done this thing from the beginning of my maternity leave where I'm saying I don't know when I'm going to return from maternity leave I'm going to see how I feel I'm going to suss it out and that was the point right that was the point was to feel what was needed feel what was going to be good for me And I am so, so, so aware that this is such a great, great privilege. Like how privileged am I that I even have the, yeah, the the fortune to be able to curate my life in this way, to be able to curate returning to work in such a way that it is paced, that I can ease back into it in such a way that is, that, you know, easygoing and, 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 um, you know, that the tempo that 
with which I come back, it can be moderate, you know, that I don't have to rush back into a full-on work day. Okay, but this is what I want to say about this whole realization and awareness that it brought is that I think it speaks to a much larger issue, and that is that we are seeing, I'm seeing it clinically in my practice, I'm reading about it, and I think that the statistics are showing it as well, and that is that we are seeing a massive increase in postpartum anxiety amongst modern mothers. And in the course that I offer, Oh Baby WTF, there is um, a whole section on this about how particularly modern mothers are experiencing anxiety. And that is also because of the, you know, the age of information and the fact that we've got so much information coming at us and, and so many messages about how we should be doing things and what children need. And, and therefore we like inundated with sort of ideas about how to be a good mother. And that stresses us out. And I think that that's true. I think that's one aspect of it. I think there's lots of other aspects of it. But the thing I want to point to is the idea that if you are a mother that is experiencing anxiety postpartum, what if instead of us, us as a community of health professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, but you yourself as the person, what if you locate the problem not so much as oh I've got a problem because I'm anxious but you ask yourself what is it about the context that I'm in what is it about this environment that I'm in what needs to change in my life what do I need to move around to so that I can be better facilitated in my role as mother, supported in my role as mother, because actually that anxiety points to something I need that I'm lacking or something that's not okay for me, something that's not safe for me, something that is causing me distress, causing me to feel I'm at risk, I'm in danger. Because that's the point of anxiety. Anxiety points us at what is safe, what is sacred, what is needing to be protected, and therefore what is important, you know. So what are some of the things that we can shift in the world so that mothers don't have to feel this anxious all the time? I mean, number one, I think the way society is structured is so backwards sometimes because, well, it's upside down more than backwards. It's like we as mothers, modern mothers, have, there's a couple of things. There's a few things that make it, make it different to be a mother in this world right now. Number one, we're having babies much later, right? So in the past, we were having babies in our early 20s, mid-20s. Now we're having babies in our late 30s, which means you've spent an extra like 20 years almost of your life living your life as a single person in the world. And majority of us, if not all of us, have gotten jobs, have got careers, have been engaging in a kind of self-determined 
individual pursuit that is equivalent to a man, you know, not much differentiates us from men in our 20s and early 30s. We're all being educated in the same institutions. We all have access to the same, um, you know, job opportunities. Okay, that's questionable. And we know there's all sorts of, you know, disproportionate um, access to certain jobs because, you know, men still dominate most fields. We know that. Um, but it's shifting. But even, like, I mean, I don't know a single woman who didn't have a job or career in her 20s and 30s, you know, like that is normal. And then you have a baby in your late 30s and you are immediately transported back to being in your in in, in like the 50s. You know, where suddenly you're a housewife, you're at home with the baby and you're expected to, you know, pause your career. Um, you're expected to um, take care of the household tasks and take care of the children in a way that often, not always, often is not shared equally by your partner. Obviously, this is a heterosexual example. Not always the case, and obviously not everyone's heterosexual. And not everyone's having babies with partners. Um, But even if you aren't and you go back to work after four months and you're working full-time, we know that the stats worldwide is that women, even if they hold full-time jobs, even if they earn the exact same amount of money as their male partners, are still doing the lion's share of household and baby-related tasks. So there's definitely something upside down about this, right? There's definitely something where we are, we know what it's like to live in a world where there's freedom and equality to a degree. But when we have a baby, that freedom and equality gets taken from us, snatched from us in a quite a radical way. On top of that, we are handed a tiny, defenseless infant. Human babies are useless. They cannot do anything for themselves. They are incredibly dependent and they are incredibly demanding because they are designed to survive and that means they need another adult human to be constantly vigilant and watching them almost all the day and all the night and feeding them and doing things with them. So there's a lot of responsibility on the primary caregiver, um, which we know predominantly lands on mother's laps. Um, in the, in, you know, that's the role of the mother. As much as we've evolved over the centuries, at the end of the day, we are in 2024, but we know that the primary caregiver predominantly is mom. And, and that's a huge responsibility. And it would be a huge responsibility in any context, except that in this context, you're doing it on your own, at home, by yourself. Your partner's going to work every day, leaving you there, and possibly doing all sorts of sporting activities in the morning and the evening, so they're they're beyond just the eight hours of work. I mean, not there, beyond the eight hours of work. You're on your own in your own home. You don't live in community. You don't live next to or with 
your parents, your sister, your sister-in-law, um, you are doing this massive job on your own. And I've spoken before about this with regards to breastfeeding, but if you are not used to being around babies and mothers and all of the things that happen in the first few years, it is a really steep learning curve to learn all of this stuff that you've got to know to look after a baby on your own in this isolated way. Now, you add on another level of complexity, social media. We are doing this alone. We are doing this older and having had experienced freedom and now it's taken from us. But we're also doing this in a world in which we are getting bombarded by messages from all sorts of sources telling us how to do it. Do it this way, do it that way. Do it, you know, it's respectful parenting, it's gentle parenting, it's attachment parenting, it's sleep training, it's, um, you know, in learning them, you know, teaching them to become independent sleepers. It's all these messages the whole time. You know, don't spoil them, give them boundaries, do this, do that, no screen time, you know, all of this. And all of these messages may be valid, but as an individual trying to cope with the um, responsibility of rearing a tiny, tiny infant in a world where we are given, inundated with lots of messages. And here's the censure. No matter that we have evolved to be career women and independent financially from male partners and all the works, one thing that we have not rid ourselves of yet is the, the narratives around what a good mother is and the fact that as a good mother, you are actually being compared, like to, to be a good mother, you're actually being compared to a completely unrealistic um, goddess-like image of motherhood that mothers are self-sacrificing, mothers are martyrs, mothers are, you know, they do nothing but take care of their children. They have nothing that is for themselves. It is selfish to want to do things for yourself. It is selfish to to take time away from the children. It is selfish to ask, you know, for childcare, for help. Um, So that is the complexity that I'm seeing. And I'm seeing women being anxious in this situation. I'm thinking, damn straight you're anxious, girl. Like, of course you're anxious. Just like I was anxious when I thought about starting work in that moment. Because for me in that moment, it wasn't what I needed. And it didn't take long for me to get to the point where I could be ready for that. But I I had the absolute privilege of honoring the fact that I wasn't ready. And I just don't see that being offered to mothers. I don't see the space, the time, the support, the framing of this process being offered to mothers so that they can ease into 
motherhood in such a way that they are not expecting themselves to get it right and do it all and figure it all out straight away. Um, And so, of course, they are feeling anxious. Of course, they are sitting with this feeling of dread, with this feeling of, how do I do this? How do I do this? I can't do it. What's wrong with me? I can't do it. And I'm worrying about all of these things all the time. I don't know how I'm going to do it. So this is just a message to to every single one of you. When you feel anxious, and I mean anxious in the sense of that feeling in your chest, maybe it's in your tummy, maybe you feel it in your shoulders, maybe you feel it in your hands, maybe it's in your head even, that feeling that, that tells you something's not okay here, I'm not okay in this moment. And I'm struggling to feel safe in this moment. I'm struggling to feel ease. I'm struggling to feel calm. I'm I'm struggling to feel at peace. I am asking you to explore, to investigate that feeling, to not brush it aside as a pathological response, to not see it as, oh, well, I better go to the doctor and get some meds. And that's all. I do encourage you to get meds because meds will help you cope. But I don't want you to feel like because you're taking meds, you have a problem and you are a problem and you are bad and you need to get fixed. That is not true. Take meds to help you cope. Take meds because it's going to make things easier. But at the same time, ask yourself, what is happening? What is the context I'm in that is con- that is creating this experience, that is creating the, 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 the qualities, the, the, the criteria of the scenario that is causing my anxiety, you know? Because if those things are not going to be you know, attended to, if if you aren't going to make structural changes to your life, then what are we doing to women? What are we doing to women? We're putting them in a situation and then we're blaming them for being anxious and we're medicating them and telling them to fix themselves. That's not the solution. The solution is not for mothers to get better at handling the shit show the solution is for us to dismantle this shit show, to, to figure out another way. And I know this comes from a place of privilege. So your way that you're going to figure out might be really limited. It might be figuring it out on a really individual level. Like, you know, you might not be able to quit your job or um, I don't know, like, uh I don't know. You, you, you might not even be able to, to find help because help is expensive. Um, but you can have conversations with every single person around you explaining the context. You can, um, negotiate with your partner, with your family, with your friends, with anyone that you know that can help you to ask them to support you, to ask them for what you need. And then you have to stick to it. You have to belligerently and forcefully fight for your right to protect your interests, 
to take care of yourself, to, to keep listening to what you need and offering yourself what you need amidst all of these competing sort of pressures and constraints and, and demands on you. This is what I wish for you this year. Good luck out there.